is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into the BearCast on this Tuesday, December the 12th, 2023. Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com. Joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer, Director of Broadcasting for Sikkim365. And we have a full hour and change coming your way as we typically do Tuesdays at around 11.15 a.m. live on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube page and also available via your various podcasting outlets so whether that's spotify or apple or what have you or whatever it is you are listening to us on youtube or otherwise please hit that uh, five stars or that thumbs up or especially that subscription button if you have not already and we would appreciate that very much we got garrett ross behind the scenes as always as well and uh, a lot to talk to uh, talk about and talk uh, to each other about this week uh, from recruiting to another big coaching hire but uh, just in general, Grayson, been a pretty busy news cycle. Uh, been, quite frankly, a more entertaining offseason than it was a regular season in, in so many ways as far as just excitement levels and kind of positivity building and not getting washed away with whatever happens on Saturday. Uh, but uh, how are we doing this week? How, how busy have you been here these last few days? Yeah, I mean, this is always the busiest time of the year. And, I mean, it has just been a whirlwind, honestly, trying to track down as much information as possible while also trying to stay in contact with the current commits and transfer portal guys. It, it's very, very busy. And Baylor, obviously, is kind of set to have a very busy offseason with all the changes they need to make, the um, roster improvements Uh, they need to make and honestly you know you go into a season with a coach who you know I think most people would say is on a hot seat there have to be a lot of changes made and so I think we're kind of seeing that I I do think from a fan's perspective um, I can understand why patience might be wearing thin Um, but I also think you're seeing that Baylor is really attacking the portal attacking the Juco level um, pretty hard they just need to uh, show results by the end of uh, December and mid-January. Well, we do have National Signing Day number one coming up next week, so we'll touch a little bit, uh, just sort of focus in on where Baylor sits uh, at the moment with Signing Day just around the corner and what you can expect here over the coming days. But uh, let's start off here as far as news from these past uh, few days go. Uh, Keenan Hall, the brand-new Baylor running backs coach and also associate head coach, one of the spots they needed to fill on this staff Uh, with the departure of A.J. Stewart, and they still have a spot left to go on the offensive line. Of course, they hired uh, Jake Spavital as the O.C. to replace Jeff Grimes. We'll get to Jeff Grimes in a second. Uh, Then they had to replace A.J. Stewart. They also have to replace Eric Mateos. Eric Mateos is now at Arkansas. Uh, The offensive line job remains open, although that appears to be winding down and could, I guess, seemingly pop at any moment. Uh, But running backs is now filled with... Keenan Hall, who comes over from SMU, as I mentioned, also has that associate head coach tag as well. He is a Dallas guy. He is a South Oak Cliff high school grad. He was at SMU these last couple of seasons, but also uh, had uh, time at Texas Southern. Uh, he was at his alma mater, Illinois State, for several years, also a GA at New Mexico and a student assistant at Illinois State uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, got started at Illinois State as alma mater, and that's where it got rolling and now rolled all the way into SMU and sticking around in the state of Texas to now come down to Waco and join the Baylor Bears and Dave Aranda. So uh, it sure seems like this has added a little spice to recruiting, a little, uh, I guess, mojo there. It just appeared that way upon the hire that there kind of just seemed to be a little bit more talk going on, a little bit more like social media sort of stuff bubbling up. Maybe am I reading too much into that, or was that actually kind of the case that there was a little bit of a of a buzz following the hire of Keenan Hall? And what are your thoughts on 
that particular hire by Dave Aranda. Yeah, definitely a buzz. And, I mean, when this hire was initially made, and and honestly through the process, I I think Baylor was really focused on getting a guy in here who could recruit at a very high level. And we saw that with Juice Johnson. Didn't really get to see a whole lot from A.J. Stewart just because he he wasn't here very long. Um, But I think Keenan Hall kind of serves that role as well. He's a very good recruiter, especially in the Dallas area. Um, I think he's going to add a spark there. He's also coached the position pretty well at SMU this year they were um, really really solid running the football but I think most people honestly found out about Keenan Hall during his time at Illinois State where uh, you know he was recruiting at a pretty high level as far as being the first to offer guys who ended up you know blowing up on the recruiting trail I think that's where people really started to understand you know kind of his mindset his ability as a scouter Um, and then also now he moves to SMU and you got to see his ability as a recruiter where he's actually going out and winning battles for four-star guys which he's done in the 2024 class and 2025 class. So I really like this addition. I think they had to get a guy in there who could really recruit, and I think Keenan definitely fits that mold. So as I mentioned, student assistant at Illinois State where he went, uh, GA in New Mexico. And from 2014 to 2020, he was a variety of things uh, with Illinois State. Then ventured over to Texas. Uh, Texas Southern for one year as an assistant coach and running backs coach. Then the following year, the same at SMU. Then promoted to run game coordinator in addition to the assistant coach and running backs title uh, this past season with SMU. And now associate head coach, a new promotion for him uh, and sticking with the running backs. And so, uh, yeah, that was uh, one that we were waiting on here. And so welcome aboard to Keenan Hall. And I don't know, I just thought the chatter on Twitter kind of seemed to perk up when his name got brought up and that that hire be came official and it was good to see that I I just feel like especially with them struggling during the year there's not a lot of play you know for for this uh program and just a little something going on it just feels kind of good to have something positive to talk about I guess that makes a world of difference when you're not having to follow everything loss wise with trying to interject some good news and people especially don't want to hear it at least here during this offseason it can just be a string of things that are positive and can kind of build from that, it seems. Yeah, and I think most people would agree that this was a good hire, and most people, I think, had a very positive reaction to the hire as well. So like you said, if you can string together positive things, that makes a world of difference in an offseason that is you know, very important that you stack as many positive things as possible. And I think Keenan's a really, really nice addition. I'm excited for them to uh, make this hire on the offensive line as well. Uh, I'm expecting that to come Hopefully today, um, if not, definitely in the next couple of days. That that needs to happen. It, it's something that's really, I think, restricting them a little bit in the transfer portal, and it's something that they really need to to finish addressing and need to make you know another home run higher there. Obviously, because whoever comes in to coach the offense line for Baylor is going to have their hands full with trying to get that group to a, a level that's at least closer to twenty twenty one level. Well, and if you pay attention to what's happened with the roster, a handful of offensive linemen have departed, whether it's retirement or transfer portal or what have you, but that's the position that they've been hit the hardest, if you will, and some attrition needed to probably happen, but they are down about five offensive linemen just based on roster changes right now, so uh, you need to get to work and replacing those guys, and you just need to get to work in general. Even if you return to everybody, they need a lot of, uh, you know, maturing and work and uh, just improvement from last year and what we saw. So, yeah, it's important to get somebody in here that can uh, get started in replacing Eric Mateos, who uh, is now at Arkansas. And uh, we knew that already. I think we touched on that last week. But one landing spot we didn't quite know about just yet was Jeff Grimes and where the former Baylor OC was going to end up. And uh, he is, in fact, going to uh, be at Kansas next year. So that is quite interesting that he will stay in the Big 12. And as I wrote in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, very familiar with the wide zone up there. That's what Lance Leipold and company uh, are good at. That's what they know. And uh, I see see that that will be, uh, or it appears that that will be a really good landing spot for Jeff Grimes. And the Bears will get to see him and the Jayhawks next year. And I'm sure he's licking his chops for that opportunity and vice versa. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's a great landing spot for Jeff, and and it makes perfect sense. I mean, he's a very good wide zone coach. We saw that when it worked out well in 2021 and parts of 2022. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he gets to go to a place that runs that similar offense. Lance Leipold lost his right-hand man to Penn State this offseason, so he had to go and make an adjustment there. And Jeff Grimes comes in. He's going to be uh, handed the keys to the car a little bit up there in Lawrence, and they've been moving the ball extremely well. It was kind of funny. I got a comment on the board that was saying, you know, Kansas really runs the same offense Baylor ran last year because they looked much more wide open and much, you know, more explosive. And that's true. But I mean, a large part of that is having an elite offensive line that does make things a lot better. And and in totality, they just executed far better than Baylor did last year on the offensive side. Yeah, they had a better offensive line. They had better running backs. They had a better quarterback in some ways because it all just worked together better. Um, And you had no Jalen Daniels for a large portion of the year, but Jason being a very capable backup. And, yeah, give anybody some time to actually do what they can do. And, it you know, it helps. But uh, we didn't get to see much of that for uh, the Bears this past season. It was snap and get hit or snap and sack or snap and – you get half a second before you have to make a decision. And I'm overplaying that, but that's what it felt like more often than not. Yeah. I mean, watching that offense try to operate. So, yeah, I mean, it makes a world of difference when you can block up front. And so uh, he's got a lot of pieces in place that I think not only the familiarity of you know parts of the scheme, but just not having to deal with the problems he was dealing with in Waco these past couple of years. Uh, he should be able to hit the ground running and be very effective there. So that's going to be fun to uh, have that little subplot next year when the Jayhawks and the Bears uh, play one another. But congrats to Jeff Grimes. Congrats to Eric Mateo. So I'm not one of those that's going to bash guys on their way out of town. Uh, they helped win a Big 12 title here. And it's not like they went and just started to suck on purpose or, you know, we're trying to bring down the ship or anything. Those guys, I think, were as heartbroken as anybody that it didn't work out here. And I know for Mateos, at least, based on what I've heard, I mean, he really wanted it to work out here. He wanted to be here. And it didn't, you know, end up being more long-term, but uh, they did carve out a niche. And so best of luck to those guys. And who knows, they might be back in some form or fashion uh, at some point down the line, it's college football and it's a small world and you never know. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll cross paths with them again, I'm sure. Uh, one other thing before we uh, keep moving on here to, to news items uh, on Keenan Hall. I mentioned this in the Good, Bad, Ugly as well, but I did see a couple of the guys that he landed at SMU for the 2025 class as uh, Chapel Hill's Ricky Stewart running back and Demetrius Brisbane, their uh, quarterback, uh, who's more of an athlete, uh, they played at McLean Stadium this past Friday night. And my future brother-in-law is a Chapel Hill grad and uh, was in town along with my sister to watch that game. And I hopped over to McLean Stadium and Chapel Hill won. They advanced the state. Brisbane and Stewart both were a huge part of that. And uh, I don't know if Ken Hall was in attendance or not. It was the same day that he was announced. But I would hope that he was. And I would hope at least some contingent was out there to see uh, those two among others. But... Um, that's, you know, in theory, uh, hey, there's there's some guys that maybe are on the radar moving forward for Keenan Hall now that he's here with the uh, green and gold. Yeah, and I mean, he also was a big part in landing Duncanville quarterback Keelan Russell, who's also going to be playing in the state championship game along with Baylor commit Deshaun Bryant, who plays on the offensive line for Duncanville. So a lot of star power playing in the state championship and guys that have some sort of ties to Baylor uh, and to Keenan Hall. And so, yeah, I'm very curious by that. You know, going forward, Baylor has their quarterback in 2025, so it's hard for me to envision them, you know, going after Russell hard. But I think Ricky Stewart and Demetrius Brisbane, I mean, they make a lot of sense. And I do think Baylor's going to recruit them pretty hard. Uh, They were recruiting both before Keenan Hall was announced, and now I think that's going to add even more fire to that potentially as, you know, that class kind of shapes up a little bit. We'll probably enter a junior day at some point in January, and once that enters, we'll kind of get a a feel for who Keenan Hall is really targeting from his time at SMU and who he's targeting uh, during his time at Baylor. He also did put out uh, his first offer. Uh, He finally extended an offer, I believe, in the 2025 class uh, to Michael Turner, um, which I think is pretty interesting and worth noting since Turner already had an offer from Baylor, and then he immediately gets on campus and sends out an offer to Michael Turner, who's at North Richland Hills. So, yeah, just keep an eye on that first offer. I felt like it was uh, pretty important. So there you go, a little bit on Keenan Hall and just kind of uh, what's sort of swirling around him right now and maybe some things down the line, but there certainly seemed to be a big positive reaction to his hire and a little bit of, oh, okay, well, 
that that seems like a, a good one there by Dave Aranda. So we'll watch that develop, but uh, so far so good uh, on that front. And now Baylor has their new running backs coach, so that does leave, as we've mentioned, the offensive line now to attend to and uh, really announce at any moment. Uh, maybe by the time you're listening to this, they've already announced it, but uh, that does seem like it's going to have to pop at some point uh, here pretty quickly. Meanwhile, mentioned one departure and where they've landed. I should probably also mention the other that also clears up some of what we'll get into with the scholarship situation and uh, what kind of numbers are there moving forward. But we have further roster clarity all the way to the point where there's only two guys on the entire roster who are eligible to come back that have not made some kind of public declaration as to what their intentions are. And maybe they have behind the scenes. I don't know just yet, but uh, we do know about Blake Shapin now. And you can go ahead and put a red X next to his name or draw a line through his name or what have you, but there is one scholarship you do know will be available as uh, Blake Shapin has committed to Mississippi State as of this past Friday evening and reunites, or not reunites, I shouldn't say that, he never played for Jeff Levy, but uh, I guess unites and uh, and joins Jeff Levy, now the new head coach there at Mississippi State. It sounds like a reunion in my head because it's just a lot of ex-Baylor flavor um, and Again, it speaks to the small world of college football, but Blake Shapin and Jeff Levy there in Starkville, what do you make of that? And mostly, what do you make of that as far as it pertains to the quarterback position for Baylor, who was already seemingly out on the hunt, um, but has seen some guys. Taylor Green has committed to Arkansas from Boise State. He was a guy that you thought would very much be a, a potential prospect there. Uh, there was another guy uh, that they were looking at now that I'm trying to think of that uh, that committed elsewhere as well. Um, but Taylor Green did commit to Arkansas, so he was at least one option that's now off the board. So a shaping official, what does this say to you about the quarterback spot and how Jake Spavital is moving forward now, knowing what they know with the uh, with Blake's decision. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I'm not going to call it a, a big miss because honestly, you and I talked about this and it was kind of expected, right? We, yeah. we kind of both felt like he was going to move on. Um, and I think he just wanted to change, you know, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. And uh, for Baylor's side of it, I mean, it is tough now because now you absolutely have to take a transfer portal quarterback. Um, you got to provide competition for Sora Robertson. I don't think you can go into next year just thinking, oh yeah, he's the guy, no doubt. Even though I do think he's very good, I think you want him to have to compete for that starting job. So I think they're going to look through the portal, try to find someone who can come in, potentially start, um, but for sure at least compete um, with Sora Robertson. But yeah, I mean, good for Shapin. I mean, I'm going to be cheering for him. I'm excited for him, excited for him to take this next step. I felt like he played his heart and soul out for Baylor last year. He did everything he could, and so now he's going to go make this change, and now Baylor, on the flip side, has to kind of change things up a little bit and figure out what direction they're going to go in. And as of right now, recording this, I don't think they've put out a single transfer portal offer yet at the quarterback position. So we'll kind of be monitoring that over the next week or two as they try to figure out who's going to take an official visit to Baylor. That'll probably help us narrow things down a little bit as to who they're actually wanting and potentially recruiting. As far as the strength of a room, I mean, they could have used him back, and he might have, he might have even been the starter had it played out in full. But I do feel like, and I maintained that for most of the last couple of podcasts, that it just felt like the timing was right for everybody to kind of just start over and get a new start somewhere um, mm-hmm. with someone else in Baylor's case and for shaping somewhere else. And so we'll see how he does there in the SEC and yeah. uh, at a school that's, you know, towards the bottom – um, I know people had a lot of fun with the reports about what he was looking for. He wanted to go to a winning program and experience that, and then he goes to Mississippi State of all right. places. But they do have a new head coach that we're all familiar with, and you know maybe that makes a world of difference. We will see on there. Um, but one name I mentioned that is no longer available that has Texas ties is Taylor Green, who committed to Arkansas. He's also head of the SEC. The other guy I was trying to think of, Chandler Rogers from North Texas, committed uh, to Cal. So he's also off the board if that was you know somebody you were thinking could be in the mix no longer the case so kind of looking at the list of transfer portal quarterbacks um you know Braden Schrager's a Texas guy played at Hawaii um you know I, I follow all the Texas guys pretty close they had some turnover issues at times uh so I don't love that as far as like an impact but as far as a body, yeah, absolutely. Bring him back to the mainland and bring him back a lot closer to Highland Park. But that's not a guy who I think you're like, oh, there's your starting quarterback and all is solved. Um, 
so there's one Texas name. And beyond that, I mean, uh, it seems like it's kind of slim picking. So I'm kind of curious of, of where they look and, and how they ride this wave of the transfer portal when it comes to trying to secure the quarterback spot. That is definitely something to watch moving forward because the guys that are still available all seem to be kind of tethered to at least a couple of schools, you know, already. And, and, none, and none of them are Baylor for all of these guys. So right. it's and, a mystery. And North Texas transfer quarterback committed to uh, Chandler Rogers. He committed to Cal. So he's yeah. another one that's gone, like so you said. said yeah. and then, but the other one's A.J. Swan, who's visiting uh, South Carolina this weekend. And so he was another one that was kind of on the radar as well. He's got two years of eligibility. Um, so keep an eye on him. I mean, there's so many, I mean, and that's the other part of this is does Baylor go with a guy that's played a lot? Do they go around and look for maybe, um, guys who haven't gotten a chance at their current spot and maybe they're, you know, look for a guy with high upside, um, that they could maybe land. Like I think, uh, didn't Washington's backup Dylan Morris enter the yeah. portal. He's a name that I would definitely, um, keep an eye on. I think he'd be a, an interesting fit as you're just kind of going for upside there uh, as he's probably not going to start for Washington next year. You know, well, he's not since he's transferring, but I just mean uh, it's much tougher there. Maybe he comes to Baylor, figures it all out. There's other names in there, but right now it's just been tough slaying to narrow it down. And since no offers are out, it's really hard to gauge, you know, the interest level that Baylor currently has in each quarterback as we've sat here and named random guys from random schools who have said Baylor has reached out. And like Marshall quarterback uh, Cam Fancher, he apparently is getting reached out to by Baylor, but he's visiting LSU and NC State. We mentioned Jace Bauer at Central Michigan. It's just guys who have been reached out to, but no offer yet, which means we're kind. I'm going to kind of hold back on how interested Baylor actually is. So we'll see as far as what they do next step-wise with quarterback, but we do know Blake Shapin's not a part of the mix any longer. So new running backs coach, uh, new. I guess things to discuss when it comes to the roster and the quarterback position, but also a new commit to talk about as well as it's been sort of quiet on that front, but now up to 14 total commits. We talked uh, last week about a decommit, but uh, now in addition to get back to 14, and that comes courtesy of uh, Boonville, Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi Community College linebacker Keaton Thomas, uh, joining the class of 2024, a JUCO early enrollee. He chose the Bears uh, this past weekend over the likes of Arkansas and Cal, among various others. And we had him on the show on 365 Sports on Monday, and he's got a big personality and seems like a guy that'll be a great lift for the locker room and just bring a lot of energy and enthusiasm and has a lot of respect for Dave Aranda and um, had a lot of different offers uh, to choose from. But this seemed to be a pretty quick sort of, uh, I guess, I guess courtship and uh, rather quickly, they get him into the fold, even though the communication, you know, really, I guess, just got started here recently, right? Was it a somewhat recent deal? And he's he's a guy who buys into the vision of Dave Aranda and his defensive prowess. And, man, he was uh, all in and sounded like a guy you'd want to have a part of your class. And, and certainly when you talk about the positivity is kind of building, I, I couldn't help but feel that after listening to him talk about his commitment. So your thoughts on Keaton Thomas and uh, why this makes sense and what this does for this 2024 class and, and what it all means in the long run as far as numbers go. Right. So communication was pretty recent for Keaton Thomas with the Baylor staff, but he does have a really, really good and long-term relationship with Christian Robinson. And that was something that he brought up to me when I talked to him. He met him at Florida, um, has known him for a long, long time. And so now it's kind of all come full circle. Christian Robinson started recruiting him again, loved what he saw in his Juco tape, uh, in which, you know, Keaton had 107 tackles, 10 for loss, two interceptions, one half sacks at 6'2, 230 pounds. So he had a really productive season. Uh, Robinson noticed that. They start talking to him. Keaton obviously knows Dave Aranda um, from his time at LSU, as Keaton mentioned with y'all. He's an LSU fan. And so um, he kind of got to know what Dave Aranda brought to the table, the kind of prospects that he got to the NFL. And all of that really came full circle this weekend when he was on his official visit. Uh, it really took him no time to commit. I had a prediction in for him heading into the weekend because, simply put, he seemed very locked in with Baylor and really, really thought that this visit – 
could lead to something. And so even after visiting Cal the week before he comes to Baylor, immediately makes a decision. Uh, he's got three years of eligibility remaining, um, and he's going to early enroll. So he'll be here in January, ready to hit the ground running. And honestly, Baylor needs him too. Uh, there's been a lot of discussions whether he's going to be the starting linebacker or you know where he's where is he going to fit in. I, personally, I think he's going to be a will. Uh, linebacker for this defense, and I he'll definitely be in the two deep. Um, there's a chance he starts, but I also think that Baylor's probably going to add another transfer linebacker, plus they got Matt Jones back. So when you kind of look at it that way, I think he'll be somewhere in that mix, and as we saw this year, plenty of linebackers got opportunities. I expect Keaton will get his as well. This is a very nice pickup and a guy who uh, I think is going to be really good, and if you notice his kind of offer list, it was solid, but the big thing was the week leading into Baylor's visit, he got Mississippi State and Arkansas. So honestly, if he let things play out, he might have gotten more offers as well. So I think he was kind of a rising prospect through the cycle. So taking a look at the scholarships, next week is signing day number one. Is he signing next week as an early enrollee? He will be signing yeah. next week. So there, it sounds like with offers. They all should be signing. Okay, yeah. so all 14 members of the 2024 Five classes that we're up to, the 2024. And just because they're signing doesn't mean they're early enrolling this round, but they are all playing to sign. And then seven are enrolling early, uh, including Keaton Thomas. Okay, because I just want to clarify there and let people know that you don't know if you're not following that closely. Yeah, next week is the first signing day. So we are expecting all 14 now of the 2024 commits to be signing next week, which that will be a relief to get that over and done with. Uh, includes Graydon Grimes. That's still on track despite the change with his dad. I just have to wonder there. Yeah, that is something that is still a situation ongoing a little bit. Okay. Um, Colt and I have added some clarity on the premium side of the website. We'll see kind of what exactly happens. Either way, I'm not exactly sure that he'll be taking up a scholarship spot, though, gotcha. if he does end up at Baylor. So that's kind of where we're at on that. So it's to be determined, honestly. All right. I just want to get some clarification there because, I mean, it just makes sense that that might be something that changes when you have mm-hmm. the, the changeover there uh, at OC. So Graydon Grimes amongst those 14, um, and now you have Keaton Thomas or KT, uh, now joining the fold as well, but all of that group's expected to sign next week, and with Thomas in particular getting the calls recently that has been getting, the sooner he can sign, the better, just so there's no more time if somebody else were to come calling. Uh, so good to know that that will be taken care of there. Um, and so that is 14, maybe 13 incoming, we'll see, uh, on on Grimes. But that also leaves, based on the list that's been forming over on the website in the premium section, keeping track of all of the decisions that have been made and the declarations. You add in what we know now about Keaton Thomas. You add in Blake Shapin, and and now we know officially that he will be gone. And based on the list that's been put together, um, and Colt has it up in one of the posts that I've been following along with, there's only two players that we don't know for sure about what they're going to do next year. Mm -hmm. Just two. Everybody else uh, has determine whether or not they're coming back next year. And so far, there's only seven guys that are no longer going to be a part of this team next season that we know for sure. Drake Dabney, he's off to the transfer portal. I have not seen or heard much on his end as far as you know offers or anything like that. Blake Shapin's going to Mississippi State. We know that. Uh, George Maye is out there in the transfer portal. Offensive lineman, also offensive lineman, Elijah Ellis, a grad transfer. He's out there in the transfer portal. But another new addition, safety, Alfonso Allen. That was another one of the moves made this past week. So he will be hitting the portal, the Florida native. Uh, We also know that uh, Connor Heffernan and Tate Williams, again, this is what I was talking about earlier on the the offensive line as far as the departures go, a handful of guys. You've got Maye and Ellis now in the portal, and you've also got Heffernan, Connor Heffernan, and Tate Williams that will be retiring. So that's four offensive linemen that you're losing there, and that makes it even more important to kind of get in here and and get to work, I would say, just as far as numbers go. Um, But uh, Alfonso Allen, let's, let's start there because that's the most recent announcement, and uh, this is not one I feel like, with all due respect to him, that people were like losing sleep over. This was one like, yeah, you kind of need some decisions like this to happen. So this is one that you're kind of like, yeah, we sort of needed that one in this in this uh, case. Yeah, I would say honestly that all five of those are pretty 
pretty good attrition. I mean, George Maia, I believe, committed to Utah State. So, I mean, I, I think that... He did, I, okay. I think so. I, th- I think he might have. We'll see. I think his All brother, signs were pointing to him going back to Utah in some right. form or fashion. So, so we'll, that would make sense. Yeah, we'll see. But I, I think in general, all five of those are good attrition. I, and I know you're losing offensive linemen numbers-wise, but if you really look at it, none of those guys are playing over the freshmen that they had on the roster that they have coming back, in my opinion, at least. And so but there's spots on the O-line that you can go fill with better players. Exactly. And that's what I mean. And so you need an O-line coach because now you got suddenly four vacant scholarships that you can use towards the O-line or somewhere else for yeah. that matter. But you need to kind of figure out what the O-line is going to look like. For sure. For sure. That, that's an area that they need to address. Alfonso Allen, again, good attrition. I, I think you look at what he produced last year. It wasn't enough, really, to, to say he's going to be a really big part of their defense a year from now. Um, fine prospect. I'm guessing he'll probably end up at group of five level. That'd be my guess. Um, but yeah, this is what Baylor needed. Baylor needed some guys to leave. I think they'll have more attrition in the spring. They're going to have to with how many transfers they're expected to take. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. Javon Gibson, Dominic Richardson still have to make decisions. Um, I would be surprised if Dominic Richardson didn't return to Baylor. Uh, not as surprised if Javon Gibson didn't. He just simply hasn't been able to get on the field uh, during his time at Baylor. But right now, sitting at 64 guys um, that have announced they're staying from the roster. Uh, the big one that happened this week, Gavin Byers is returning. So another offensive lineman added to the room, a veteran. So we'll see how he fits in in this new scheme. And then, of course, the seven early enrollees uh, will be factored into the equation as well as we get closer to uh, signing day and January when guys guys um you know go back to school so if you got 64 on the roster you just mentioned dominic richardson javon gibson i was going to get to that those are the only two that we don't know about what their their plans are um so that's that's all that remains of the entire roster everybody's made a decision of some sort besides those two so we await that maybe they've already made them behind the scenes uh who knows this wasn't always like you had to make a public declaration but i mean they're the only two that we don't know about um so that remains to be seen but um, 64 that have pledged out of the 85 to come back. You're about to sign seven more, so that's 71 guys. But then you'd also have the other five to six that are part of the class that aren't early enrolling. So, I mean, what are you looking at as far as, you know, attacking the transfer portal? Like 10 guys, that's about all you – so people expecting, again, this massive makeover, this Colorado or Texas State, like we've got to change over the whole roster – um, they're they're going all in with the young guys that they have and the belief in who they've recruited and um, there's not really a whole lot of attrition. I think seven's probably about the average nationally. Might even be below that for all I know. Um, so that's really not a lot of departures. Now, granted, if Richardson and Gibson go, there's nine guys. Uh, so maybe you're getting more into an average territory there. But, yeah, I mean, just transfer portal-wise, about 10 guys is what you're eyeing right now. And there could further be attrition after spring ball and things like that. But just for what you're expecting right now, it's not 20 or 25 or some crazy number like that. Yeah, and Baylor's actually far below the average. Like, for – I mean, I think they have the lowest in the Big 12 because you also have to factor in Heffernan and Williams are retiring. So they're not even in the transfer portal technically. So you only have, what, five guys that are actually in the transfer portal, which would be – which is the lowest in the Big 12. We'll see what happens with Gibson and Richardson, but – that just speaks to what we've talked about. Bringing back Dave Randa allows you to keep a lot of your roster together, whereas bringing in a new head coach would not have allowed them to do that as easily. Now the question is, is that going to work out? Because they were 3-9 and nine this year. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into play, but if they're able to go out and land you know, 10 really high-quality transfers, I think that does reshape the roster enough to allow them to be competitive. And then you go into the spring, you're going to have more attrition in the spring. You're going to have to have more attrition. And then maybe you can go add some guys late like they did this past year. Those guys didn't necessarily work out great, but you might be able to find a hidden gem after the spring potentially. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this past group, that's kind of, you know, when having the bigger conversation about bringing back Aranda and what you could do and things like that, I mean – for the argument of, well, I just go attack the transfer portal, that's not going to be a surefire thing, and I always point it to last year because it was very hit or miss as far as the, the guys they landed. But you just you have to hope that you have more success there, and as much as anything, you are absolutely banking on who you already have to make the biggest impact for you. And then, 
use these 10 or so scholarships that maybe that balloons to 15 by the time the season rolls around next year. Um, but you can't rely on that to be your saving grace. You have to have the development of your current roster and the growth of your current roster. And that's where you hope these coaching hires come into play and just getting older and maturing and the experience from this last year, even the, the, the low moments of which there were many, uh, that's, you know, what you're hoping is going to build this team and, and strengthen it and fortify it moving into the next year. So we'll see if that gamble pays off. But that's, you know, the clear direction is uh, playing with your guys and then trying to find uh, the right people to fill in the holes, which is, you know, kind of what everybody's trying to do. But it's certainly a unique case for Baylor because you know the stakes. You know that there's very much a pressure there under uh, Dave Aranda's seat. But I think he's handling it pretty well, and I think a lot of these moves are very positive. So um, next week, signing day, uh, we now kind of know the numbers. Uh, we know what's going on with the transfer portal and some of these decisions. So where does that sort of leave everything now uh, that we have not touched on, I suppose, with just scholarships? I mean, again, about 10 guys maybe in the portals, what you're looking at. More attrition could come at any time, uh, you know, over the next few months. Offensive line coach vacancy, that's really it. Is there anything we haven't really hit on at this point, I think, uh, when it comes to the the retooling going on right now? No, I mean, I think we, we've hit on most of it. I, I I know that there's probably going to be some more information that comes out during the week. I, I expect official visits to start on Thursday and those to run through the weekend. We'll see, though. Baylor hasn't been, you know, very active so far as far as having guys on campus. This past weekend, they only had two guys on campus, which were Kyler Beattie and KT Thomas, and that's it. So, we're going to see they're going to have to turn that around and start getting guys on campus. I think right now they're really in an evaluation stage where they're trying to figure out who exactly the priorities are from the portal and then going out and recruiting those guys. But you don't want to bring in guys too early because then you're going to be forced for taking you know, maybe your second or third option instead of kind of being patient, waiting things out, and then trying to bring in your first option um, from the transfer portal. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now is them trying to get kind of things all on the same page, try to figure out who the top guys are, and then getting those guys on campus before bringing in you know, other prospects who maybe you don't want as much. All right, so there's kind of where it sits with football for the time being, but uh, plenty of activity over on the um, website. And if you are not yet a premium member, but you're a big Baylor fan, big Baylor football fan, basketball fan, uh, definitely encourage you to look into becoming a premium member so you can kind of get into the depths of this these conversations and some of the nitty-gritty and some of the back uh, behind-the-scenes reports and intel uh, you can get involved in all of that over on the premium section of Sikkim365.com. And no better time of year than around signing day to get fully invested uh, with that side of the fandom. But uh, meanwhile, Baylor men uh, still doing their thing up to 9-0 and over on the hardwood. Scott Drew and company uh, taking care of business uh, up until this point. And they've got a big one now looming coming up this Saturday with Michigan State up at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, but uh, most recently, uh, it not really has been a lot of activity. They haven't played in a week at this point, and by the time Saturday rolls around, they'll have had nearly two weeks off uh, here in the early part of the season. But when we last saw them uh, last Tuesday, uh, they were winners over Seton Hall in the Big East Big 12 battle, um, not to be confused with the Blue Bonnet battle. Um, the very creative names going on here. This one actually makes more sense than the Blue Bonnet battle, uh, with all due respect. But uh, the Big East Big 12 battle, uh, they win 78-60. to 60. Had also beat Northwestern State uh, earlier, uh, or I guess two weekends ago now at this point. But kind of few and far between action-wise here, Grayson. But sitting at 9-0, and sitting pretty in the top 25, up near the top teams in the country. Um, your thoughts on what you've seen from... The men, and now what they've got coming down the pipeline here with the Spartans in a big matchup on Fox, followed by uh, what will be a huge matchup with Duke, even though we will, well, I guess we will have a small, very small, if at all, amount of time to talk about that with signing day. So you might as well, I guess, chip in on that as yeah. well. Uh, Duke and Michigan State back to back, or Michigan State and Duke back to back upcoming for the Bears. Yeah, I mean, this is a big week that's kind of lost some shine because Michigan State has been dreadful this year. They're four and five. They've lost their last two in a row to Nebraska and Wisconsin. Not, not good. Not good at all for Michigan State. I expect, I mean, Baylor should go into that game and win fairly easily, but I will say 
They're still playing in Detroit. It's still basically a home game for Michigan State. There's going to be a good crowd there. They're going to try to show up and get the Spartans kind of season back on track. But I would be surprised if Baylor lost that game. Baylor's been far better than Michigan State so far this year. The Bears are currently 7th in Ken Palm, uh, the second highest rate offense in the country, 43rd defense. Then you got to scroll down a ways to get to Michigan State, who is 69th in offense, 18th in defense, and currently 35th in Ken Palm overall ranking. So uh, not expecting too, too much that I think Michigan State will battle, but I, I would like to see Baylor go into that game and really kind of flex their muscle a little bit. The Duke game, on the other hand, is really interesting. Duke's only 6-3. and three. Um, They're 17th in Ken Palm. They're, they're obviously very talented, but they haven't really shown kind of that killer instinct that I think a lot of people thought they would show this season. Uh, they've had to deal with a little bit of injuries, and so I think that's kind of set them back a little bit. But I also think they're a team that's going to be better later in the year. So I think this is a prime opportunity for Baylor to go out, beat at least, you know, I think both these schools are borderline blue bloods. I mean, obviously Duke is, but Michigan State's right there. I think Baylor's going to have an opportunity to beat two blue bloods this week, and honestly, they should. Uh, They're the better basketball team than both of them currently. So there you go, a couple of huge name matchups, and in the case of Duke, like a really a, a, a nice test, and we'll see with Michigan State, but as you mentioned, it's on the road, it's in their territory, um, but the Bears sitting at uh, number six right now, and you look at just the future Big 12, you got Arizona, the number one team in the country right now, Kansas, the number two team in the country, Houston, the number four team in the country, and then Baylor right there at number six, and I mean, shoot at five, you got UConn, who was rumored to be joining the Big 12. Um, so, you know, just between Big 12 rumors, five of the top six are either in the league or about to be in the league or were rumored to be in the league. Um, the only exception being Purdue right there at, at number three uh, and nine and one overall. But um, they'll be taking on Arizona upcoming here. So, um, yeah, uh, there's a, a good look um, for the Big 12 and just the toughness of the league. And I could go on down the standings, but uh, for the sake of time, I won't do that because it's either Gonzaga, another rumored team right there in the yeah. top 10. Oklahoma's at 11. I mean, well, I mean, even if you don't look at the fast forward to the new Big 12, I mean, the current Big 12, yeah. there's only two teams that have a below 500 record, and that's Oklahoma State and West Virginia. Everyone else has at least six wins. So the worst team outside of that's UCF at six and three. You got like what six teams with one loss or less, or seven teams with one loss or less. I mean, this is a loaded league once again, the best league in the country as it has been for what eight of the last nine years. Yeah, it's been uh, going on quite the the streak. You wonder when people are start chanting Big Twelve in the stands when uh, and, and anybody wins a game versus yeah. you know somebody else. It's a it's a big win, but. Um, I think the the fans know better than that. Actually, we're not going to see any of that. Nor nor is there that level of pride. I don't think anybody really cares that much about the league. But it is fun to be able to brag about that on the basketball side of things and kind of have that uh, that superiority there. Uh, but meanwhile, the Baylor women coming off of a win this past weekend against uh, the Oregon Ducks, seventy one fifty one winners by twenty points over Oregon had uh, beaten. SMU the uh, the week prior uh, by double digits as well. So a couple of you know blowout wins against some you know quality name opponents here recently for Nikki Collin and the women who are now seven and zero and they are right there square in the top twenty five at number ten as it stands right now. South Carolina, UCLA, NC State, Iowa, and Texas uh, your top five teams in the country, but that does leave. The Bears as the number two ranked Big 12 team. But again, you get into this Colorado, the number eight women's team, Utah, the number 11 women's team, uh, K State, the number 12 women's team. So again, if you kind of look at the present and the future, uh, that is very interesting. You'll lose Texas, obviously, uh, but good to see, you know, Colorado and uh, also, uh, who else did I mention there? Uh, Utah that are that are right there squarely in the mix as well. But yeah, Nikki Collin and uh, the Baylor women now have Delaware State coming up here in just a couple of days. Uh, so that is what uh, they have um, uh, on the horizon. And then uh, Miami down in San Antonio for the Hall of Fame series coming up on Saturday uh, before heading to West Palm Beach next week 
for the West Palm Beach Invitational. So about to pick up in a major way with some fun contests here. Uh, but Delaware State at the Farrell Center on Thursday, your next opportunity to see the number 10 Baylor women. Yeah, and honestly, unlike the last few years, I mean, really, it's been a long time since I would say that the Big 12 women's side has been this deep. I mean, there's a lot of pretty good teams. I mean, you, you kind of look up and down the standings. You got BYU sitting there at 8-2, and two, and then all these one-loss teams, Houston, Kansas State, Baylor, UCF, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas TCU, either have one loss or no loss. I mean, it is a much deeper league than in the past, and the net kind of speaks that. They got five teams right inside the top 25 right now. So a lot of work to do for Baylor, but I will say this this is a very positive start. They look really, really solid, and they look like a team that's a legit contender uh, to win the Big 12 and possibly go even further than that. I like what I've saw, seen from them, and the past few games where they've gone out and really dominate, I, I think is very telling to where the state of the program is at currently. Very curious to see how that Miami game plays out. Yeah, and uh, with the Miami game and the West Palm Beach Invitational, they'll then turn around and and for the men as well but I mean we're not far away from conference play starting here in the next couple of weeks so that is coming down the pipeline it's kind of jarring even though basketball season's been underway you just you sort of get lost that early part of the season with football and all that's going on with the program right now especially with a random company there's just news left and right like oh yeah like hey big 12 plays coming around the the corner here in hoops so it's about to start getting real serious uh in a very short uh, amount of time so looking forward to all of that, uh, all indications are the arena is still coming along nicely and is shaping up to be open here in the next few weeks. So uh, that'll obviously be a big deal as well and add a little spice to the second half of the season. But, yep, getting down into the nitty-gritty for basketball season as well and both teams sitting pretty in the top 25. So there's a little bit of a hoops roundup. Um, next week we'll concentrate mostly on signing day because that's you know twice a year. It's a big event and particularly this first one, especially with basically all of Baylor's uh, class signing. So uh, don't not sure how much hoops we will get to, but uh, we'll try and squeeze it in as it fits sometime next week. Uh, anything before we head into the mailbag here? No, I don't think so, but I will, I will say one thing. It looks like Baylor got another commit, so just something to keep an eye on. Maybe it'll break before we finish the podcast, but we'll see. It okay. looks like there's going to be a, a little bit more movement coming in the near future. Uh, movement as far as additions. Additions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For the 2024 class? Not, not sure exactly okay. what it's going to be currently. There's a couple possibilities. It might be 2025. It might be 2024. It might even be transfer portal. So we're still kind of up in the air there. All right. Well, let's see if we can't get that live, uh, if at all possible. But if not, then uh, you know something's coming down the pipeline. So a little tease there for you. Let's go to Scotty B to start off the mailbag this week. Are you surprised that Baylor versus Michigan State men's basketball is in a top 25 showdown like Baylor Miami women's basketball I would be surprised if I was told that before the season began oh extremely surprised I mean Michigan State was supposed to be you know a potential final four contender this year with all the experience they have back they're just not very good I mean I've watched them play they got a lot of old guys but their old guys just are mediocre and so it's really surprising to see Tom Izzo and Michigan State be kind of where they are I mean they're on the verge of not making the tournament which I believe Izzo's at like what 18 straight or 19 straight uh, NCAA tournament appearances, which is the longest streak in the country. So, I mean, this would be pretty unprecedented for them to fall to four and six, which is what they're looking at if they lose to Baylor. Yeah, that would be a tough hole to dig out of. But, you know, it's uh, cyclical, and Michigan State's kind of been sort of a – uh, an interesting program to sort of follow along with a lot of ups mm-hmm. and downs, peaks and valleys over the last few years. Uh, so, yeah, not not a game that I expected where you'd have one team very clearly in the rankings and, and one team kind of struggling the way that they are. But name, brand, value, they still bring that. It's still Michigan State, so that is you know better than playing like Shenandoah Valley um, at the Farrell Center on a Tuesday night mm-hmm. or something. There at least be more eyeballs and interest in this one, even if the Spartans are struggling. And you can't take them for granted either. You don't want to be on the... Uh, receiving end of an upset bid to give them a little bit of traction. Uh, I need to pee. Nice username there. Uh, on the 12th day of Christmas, Coach Aranda got for me, question mark. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what he got for you, but uh, maybe a new username. <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, don't even know how to respond to that one, quite frankly. What what kind of baskets is he bringing down, or what kind of gifts, I should say, is he bringing down the chimney? We've got new coaches 
Sounds like we've got another new commit coming at some point soon. So I guess just some new recruits is what uh, he's bringing on the 12th transfer Christmas. portal quarterback and a new offense line coach. Yeah, I guess all those things <laughs> so, are on the Christmas list. Yeah, somewhere on the list. Yep, so that's what that's what he's bringing for you and for all of us to talk about and unpack here. And uh, I guess unwrap is, is a better phrase to use, but uh, definitely already giving some gifts here to start off December and more on the way as uh, Grayson just referenced a few minutes ago. 1964 Bear, where will the Bears finish in next year's season? Ooh, where? Um, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns right now, not yeah. only for them, but for the rest of the league. Uh, you know, there's a brand-new league, too, where you're familiar with a lot of the teams, but losing Texas and Oklahoma, bringing in four, you know, really kind of unknowns, uh, even though Colorado you're somewhat familiar with, but even then that was over a decade ago when they were last in this league. A lot has changed since then. Um, I mean, who knows how much better Dion and company really are. Um, Jetfish in Arizona ought to be pretty good, but you're not even playing everybody now, so it's like you have to go back to the schedule and be like, do they play this team? Do they play that team? I don't know off the top of my head just yet, but uh, anybody ask me what to expect or where they finish, I don't know about finish, but um, all I do know about it is they better finish with at least six wins. Um, that's what I do know, and yeah. beyond that, I need to see more of this offseason before I decide eight wins, seven wins, six wins, what have you. But bowl game is is pretty much baseline. I think that should be understood by everybody. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I'm at too. It's really hard to predict anything when you don't even know what the roster is going the to quarterback? look like. I mean, who the quarterback yeah. is, kind of. I mean, just see anything really about the roster makeup and who they're going to land in the transfer portal. Uh, but if you're asking me with the current roster that they have, I mean, th- this team is not good enough in my eyes right now to to be squarely a bowl team. Like I think they got to get better. They need to add pieces. Uh, they need to improve. They need their young guys to improve. Um, I think by this time at the in the middle of January, I would probably have this team as being somewhere in the middle of the pack is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting to believe that they're going to be four and five or five and four in the Big Twelve next year, which would be right around a bowl team, which is kind of what I'm expecting for uh, for next season. Which I know people are going to say that's not very high expectations, but we got to be a little realistic with where things are at. Unless they land some really impactful transfers, you know, making a bowl game is kind of where I'm going to place them at this time. And that's just like what I think the standard should be, especially yeah. when you just missed one. I mean, the thought of going two postseasons without a bowl game, I think would be a really bad look. It would not be great for the development of the program. So blindly, I say baseline should be a bowl game. But anything beyond that, it's just way too unpredictable at this moment. Uh, with their own roster, much less what everybody else has got going on in a new-look league where it's going to be a free-for-all as far as there's a vacuum at the top with the current champs departing who are always you know, pretty in the mix or always more talented on paper than everybody. And that really goes for both Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma ran the league up until these last three years. So you know, you lose them all of a sudden, and it's anybody's guess as to who – you throw in four new teams, four new teams this past season. They make their changes after year one. These four new, look what they look like. I mean, yeah, it's it's really hard to, to know. But, I mean, no matter what league you're in, you would hope that six wins after a three-win season is, is something that you can manage to do, baseline. Easy does it with Aranda's new acting D.C. Power still on staff. How do you imagine that will function, and what comparable college models should we look at to see both successful and unsuccessful Similar setups, what will be different from this past season? Well, I mean, I guess I'll start with what will be different from this past season. I mean, the the function is that Dave Rand is going to be calling the plays on game days. Dave Rand will also be much more of a focal point during the week, you know, as far as what they're going to do, how they're going to uh, compete, how they're going to do things, what drills they're going to run, all of those things. He's going to be much more hands-on. He's going to be hands-off when it comes to the offense. So instead of getting 50-50, Aranda, you're getting, you know, 95-5 um, on that on those type of things. So that's a huge shift. I mean, he's basically the defense coordinator now, and that's kind of how this will work. Pallage will work on uh, safeties as well as working on special teams some, as I know he's always had a huge hand in that. And Pallage is still going to have a huge role. It's just Dave Rand is going to take over a lot of those um, – you know, game day and during the week type things. I think the one the setup that I look at, it's usually easier for me to look at from the offensive side. Um, when you look at, like I've mentioned, Ryan Day, you know, he coaches the offense for Ohio State and he's the head coach. 
but Jim Knowles is the guy who coaches the defense. Ryan Day doesn't do really anything on the defensive side, and that's been really successful for them. So I think that's kind of the blueprint that Aranda is going to be looking at um, and trying to emulate with Jake Spavital taking over as the offensive coordinator. And, you know, I, I think you can be successful in that regard. And I think, honestly, this is where Dave Aranda will probably function better than he has over the last, you know, couple years where he's had to stretch himself so thin. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln Riley's a guy who obviously controls his own offense. Uh, that's offense. Uh, I think you'd maybe look at Manny Diaz now that he's a head coach again. I don't know what his exact setup will be at Duke, but when he was a head coach prior, you know, obviously he had his fingerprints all over um, what his defenses would do, and uh, I believe was calling the plays as well on the defensive side um, when he was at Miami and whatnot. Yeah. So that's, you know, an example. But again, you can just look at, like, Lincoln Riley. It's just for defense. You know, mm-hmm. you're the head coach, but you're just and basically Mike, running that side. I think Mike Elko was calling the plays say on Elko defense as well. at Duke as well. So that's that's another one that comes to mind as yes. far as it working out. Uh, I don't we don't really see or hear as much about the ones that don't work out. So I, I don't know how many I can point to as unsuccessful, but it does happen in college football and those are some of the successful ones with Elko kind of I think being the most closely tied to this one as far as being a defensive-minded guy. So easy does it. Hopefully that answers your question. Not that uncommon, but uh, it is you know somewhat unique, and it is going to be a challenge for Dave Aranda to sort of maximize his time and balance his interest and his focus when you're trying to do all of the head coach things, but you're going to have to really be a coordinator in some ways as well. So uh, that's going to be kind of a return to his past, but also a different version of sort of being a head coach and a coordinator for the the very first time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's been a coordinator, he's been a head coach. He's not really been in the middle, and that's where he now will find himself. Ryan Allen Long, tis the season for a Christmas question. Think back to your childhood. What is the best gift you ever received? Man, I'd have to sit there and think about that for a second. Uh, So I guess I will while you also contemplate that answer. Yeah, I think uh, when I got my first, like, the PlayStation 3 mm. when I was in, I think, or middle school or something. I remember loving, like, playing that all the time when I was in middle school and then into high school some. I think that was my favorite gift, the one that I got the most use out of. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that, a lot of games and things that I think brought me joy. But one that was, I guess, sort of unique that was a different type of Christmas gift was uh, my dad's a Nebraska fan, and back in their heyday, I guess I would have been like in elementary or middle school, probably more elementary. Let's see, 95. Yeah, no, uh, elementary. And he and my mom got tickets to go watch them play Florida in the national championship game, and they surprised me and my little sister with uh, tickets because we didn't think we were going. thought it was just a parent's trip. And then we got surprised on Christmas that, like, oh, no, y'all are tagging along as well. Nice. So little kid me was fired up, and we got to go to Tempe and watch Tom Osborne and Tommy Frazier and the Cornhuskers just uh, tear Florida and Steve Spurrier and (laughs) Danny Werfel to shred 62-24 to to win the national championship. So that was pretty cool. That's really cool. And uh, that's one that stands out for me. Uh, Bringing it back to sports, Ryan says, what transfer portal player does Coach Aranda (laughs) want to find under the Baylor Christmas tree this offseason? A quarterback. I mean, that's that's the top of the wish list, I think, for for Baylor this offseason. I mean, I'd also like to see them just get a best available type player that is, you know, really, really good. You know, Kobe Savage entered the transfer portal from Kansas State. That would be one heck of an addition to the defense. And finally give Baylor an elite star to replace Jalen Petrie, which they haven't been able to do the last two years. So something along those lines I think would be awesome. You know, anytime you can add a great offense lineman or a defense lineman, that's cool too. But quarterback and a star I, I think would be really, really great for Dave Rand this offseason. Barrel of 89, prediction time. Will Sawyer Robertson be the starting quarterback game one next year? I realize this is a wild guess, but when we don't know what quarterback is coming in from the portal, uh, or it's a wild guess when we don't know what quarterback's coming in from the portal, but it is the offseason and we have a lot of downtime to kill. Well, ain't that the truth? Although, I, basketball uh, will take yeah. up a lot of time for a lot of people, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm mostly just a football guy. That's where my, my main interests lie. 
and leave Kendall and Ashley and all the rest to really go hard on the basketball side of things. But, um, yeah, it is the offseason, so these are the kinds of questions that we are going to dive into. I mean, I think if I have to guess right now, it's going to be Sora Roberts. Yeah, it, I mean, based on what we know, it has to be, yeah. Right, it's hard to not predict him, even though I do think whoever they bring in will provide ample competition and be pretty good as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... it's uh, Total shot in the dark to say otherwise. I mean, Sawyer's the only thing that we do know for sure. He's the only scholarship quarterback until what, uh, I mean, R.J. Martinez is not on scholarship, but he's going to be back. And I actually had a question from somebody the other day of like, why do we need a quarterback if we've got the recruit coming in? It's like, okay, now granted, this person got confused. They thought that, was it Adam Schobel, who's a four-star yeah. top-rated player in Texas as far as quarterbacks for 2025 goes, but he's 2025, so he's got another high, high school year to play, so he's not coming to help anytime soon. you got to like hold on to him for another year. Um, so you would be looking at uh, Nate Bennett, but he's nowhere ready to play college football in my estimation. RJ is not a guy you're hoping to lean on. He's not on scholarship, I mean, even as we mentioned, so that really is just Sawyer, and so you have to get a go, go and they get a quarterback. To. And it doesn't have yeah, to be you go spend a million dollars on a guy either. I mean, that's I think that's the misconception. But you are going to have to, like, pony up and find a way to coax somebody here because everybody needs a quarterback. And so there's a lot of stuff being offered to quarterbacks. But I don't think that means you go get DJU, you know, yeah. or, or somebody like that. But anyways, knowing what we know, yeah, Sawyer's going to be the starter for, for game one next year. But if they were to go get DJU, okay, well, that would change things. Right. And that's not in the cards for what it's worth. Let's not get hopes up either. But, yeah, I appreciate the question. Useless Kim Degree, how about that new O-line coach? Should we expect to hear something final by today? I would think that it's coming really soon. I know that they're down to the final two, and so we're just kind of waiting to see how this plays out. But I do think that Baylor should have a guy announced in the very near future. I thought it might happen yesterday. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking today, maybe tomorrow. But it has to happen early this week, you would think, especially as they're going to try to get guys on campus this weekend. BU Bear, 1994, DFW. Of our current staff, who was our best recruiter? Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh, Position, position group coaches, not necessarily just recruiting coordinators on staff, if that makes sense. So I, I would say that I, I think Keenan Hall is probably going to be their best recruiter. Um, but I will say it's been really interesting to watch uh, Christian Robinson recruit. I think he's done uh, a pretty good job as a recruiter. Now he needs to get that position together because the linebacker struggled last year. But I think he's going to be a pretty good recruiter. Um, but ultimately, I do think Keenan Hall will probably be their best recruiter on the staff. Bears 224, Baylor staff was posting a lot last week about what seemed to be a commit coming, even posted the Heisman Trophy saying, another one of these coming to Baylor soon. Surely this wasn't about the linebacker commit. Who do you think it's about? Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, 224. Um, it was about the linebacker commit. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that it was, you know, I know a lot of people got mad because of how, you know, much, how many things were posted, and then the Heisman Trophy was posted as well, but they get really excited when there's a commit, as they should for every single commit, and that's what they were doing for KT Thomas. That that's that was absolutely about KT. Uh, anything after from this point on could be about a different recruit, but that specific wave of tweets was about KT Thomas. All right, so thank you for the clarification there, and not get people's hopes up. Um, that can. Uh, that's kind of what I was referring to though last week. It just seemed like there was a rejuvenation. There's, I mean, it's it was very quiet throughout the season as far as recruiting goes. There was like nothing going on for the most part, recruiting wise. And I even felt like like this staff doesn't even post that much in the in the big picture. I think when you're struggling, obviously there's not a lot to go out and promote. But I just feel like I've seen more tweets in the last week from combined staff than I did like the past three months. And that may just me be look be me looking more into it, but. Certainly felt that way. Lomer, super fan. Hey, guys, curious about your thoughts on this. How are we judging success for Baylor football next year? Are we grading it based on improvement from last year or by what expectations should be for a fifth-year head coach? If we win six games and are a top 45 team based on metrics, that's successful improvement from last season. But is that what Aranda is being judged on? Thank you for the question. I, I mean, I, I personally think them making a bowl and legitimately being a top 40, top 45 team when you look at the metrics and them competing in every single game, I, I do think that that is good enough. I, I think that 
a lot of people are going to look at the fifth year thing and say, oh, well, now it's time to be winning, you know, Big 12 championships or something along those lines. But it's pretty clear they're a little ways away from that. Um, now, things can turn pretty quickly, um, but I think ultimately that's kind of where I'm at with expectations for next season. They just need to make big improvements, but maybe that doesn't necessarily mean competing for the Big 12 title just a year after going three and nine. Yeah, that's where I am as well. I don't think you go like, oh, you got to win nine or ten games or you're not where you're supposed to be heading. I think you know, coming off of three and nine that you don't win six games, that's pretty pretty significant improvement. You win more than that, then that's even, even more significant. But I think a lot of it will be like how's your roster set up, kind of what the feeling is. Because you can win seven games but have a much better feeling about things than, you know, um, than just uh, – Oh, well, you only won seven games. You can at least be like, hey, but yeah, but like all these guys are going to be juniors next year and they're all coming back and blah, blah, blah. But you do have to have something foundationally to build upon that's not just basically hope because that's what you're going off this year is hope and just belief and maturation, a maturation of the young guys and the coaching changes. But next year, like you have to show some actual results. And without those, it's going to be hard to do another offseason of just trust us. We just need to get a little bit more older now and make a couple more coaching changes. I know we've done that already. Like, they need to show improvement next year, and it needs to be, even if it's not in wins, like just better-looking losses, not multiple blowouts like we've seen the past couple of seasons now. Yeah, I think next year is very similar to 2018 under Matt Rule when they, you know, they went 1-11, and and then in 2018, 6-6, won the bowl game, went 7-6. But you saw the progression, right? You saw going into 2019 that they were going to have success and be a pretty good football team, and they ended up going 11-1. and Now, we'll see if Dave Randa can turn around like that, but I think ultimately that's the kind of year I'm looking for out of Baylor and just showing those flashes, playing a lot of close games, and just ultimately being competitive and getting to a bowl game. So there you go. Appreciate all the questions in the mailbag this week. It will be very busy next week with um, not only – here over the next few days, what's expected to be an offensive line coaching hire and clearly some more in the way of recruiting as Grayson tees, but also National Signing Day next week. So we will be locked in for that uh, coming up on, what, Wednesday of next week. Uh, we'll have a show for you to run down all 13 to 14, give or take, you know, a little degree of, of maybe change there one way or the other. Uh, but around 14 players will be signing next week officially and that will bring uh, one big chapter to a close in the recruiting cycle. So uh, we've got that to look forward to and uh, talk about on the next episode. But, Grayson, anything before we head out this afternoon? No, just be on the lookout. There's going to be a new commit coming up soon, but it's going to happen after the show, it seems like. And outside of that, just be sure to check out the premium side of things. i got a huge thread with transfer portal updates and recruiting updates. So if you're not a premium subscriber, you're missing out on quite a bit of information, including a, a nugget on a potential five-star quarterback this past week as well. So just be on the lookout for those things. That's why you should be a premium subscriber. If you're watching us live, we'd appreciate if you hit that like button. If you're watching us after the fact on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 page, please hit that like button, but also hit that subscribe button as well. We would appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more news, lots of news coming down the pipeline over at Sikkim365.com. Until next time, thanks to Garrett Ross. And to Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com. <laughs>